Hey, everybody. This is the Steg Drew Show, and I'm your host, Drew Stegmeyer. This show is new, evolving, and finding itself. We don't yet know what it will turn out to be, and that's exciting. I believe the world has a current civility deficit, and with this endeavor, I'll be exploring tough and taboo topics with compassion and civility so you can do the same with your friends, family, and coworkers. Hey folks, in this episode, Daryl Becker and I dive into a variety of things. I would say the central theme is thinking about thinking, or what some people call metacognition, even though we didn't use those direct words in the episode. Daryl is many things. Among them, he has been in medicine for 23 years. He is a licensed acupuncturist. He also runs a company called Content Safe. And I would also consider Daryl an autodidact who has deep knowledge in a variety of modalities and disciplines. We dabble in ideas of red pilling, volunteerism, the non-aggression principle, and also talk about frameworks like nonviolent communication, which comes back again. I think we took a bit of a larger scope this time and... As per the red pilling, there are many topics in this episode that might be considered otherwise incredibly controversial, so be mindful. As we wrap the episode, Daryl notes that some people might not be open to these ideas, that if you're doing your walks through life, to be mindful of forcing your views or ideas onto others and to empathize that we are all at different stages of this walk through life. This was one of my favorite conversations I've had so far on the show, and I will definitely be having Daryl back. There are many things I wanted to touch on that we didn't touch on or barely scratched the surface about. Are you tired of reacting to imaginary bullets? Join us for an interactive workshop developing skills to begin your journey to freedom. Own your triggers. Claim your shift. Free yourself from reactivity and transform trigger bullets into bouquets. This compassionate connecting workshop can be found online at compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Since that might sound a little confusing, I'll repeat it. Compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Check the episode description as well for a link. Again, free yourself from reactivity. Check it out. Welcome, Daryl. Hey, Drew. It's great to join you. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it with the story of Colonel Sanders, as told by yourself, because we were were talking about that as we as we settled in. Excellent. So from my understanding, having studied a little tiny bit and I'm I'm wondering, you know, how much of that is true or not. But my understanding of Colonel Sanders, the so-called Colonel of Kentucky Fried Chicken, when that man was 68 years old, he was divorced and broke and estranged from his daughter seriously considering suicide and ending his life. No one knew who he was, but instead of doing that, he decided to focus on the one thing that he was really good at. And I'll just back up for a moment. I mean, he tried many, many ways of trying to get to success. He tried jobs. He tried selling, you know, door to door. He tried many things. You know, he certainly obviously tried to be successful at relationships and that didn't work out. And he just, (laughs) kept trying things and, and, you know, struggling and failing. And at, at 68, where, you know, he was left destitute with no money, he 
kind of realized, well, there is one good one thing I'm good at. People really love my fried chicken. So he made a nice batch of fried chicken and took it over to his neighbors who loved it. And it gave him the idea to give it a try. So he started making deliveries and selling the fried chicken that people loved. And he advanced that into the multi-billion dollar Kentucky fried chicken business died a billionaire at that point, you know, like multiple years later. It's an example of persistence is what usually gets to win. So I mentioned this when we were talking right before the show, because I'm writing a book, not medical advice. Uh, it's covering the topic of how to build an effective medical team to solve your problems of health and injuries and finding how to like actually locate and work with people who get the job done instead of trusting the wrong people who don't get the medical job done and might even make it worse. And so it's like, you know, um, the first part just goes over the ins and outs of medicine you might not know about. And the second part of the book is literally the four major members of your healthcare team, how to locate them, how to interview them, how to work with them, and when necessary, how to basically move on from them if they're not getting you the results in the time frame that's accessible to you by time and money circumstances. All like the real stuff that you'd need to know how to do that. Um, this is my fifth book that I've started at this point, but this time I'm really going to do it. And I'm 49 years old now, so I'm, I'm determined to make it happen. And uh, I think you're a bit younger than me. So when people told you, Drew, you should be writing a book. Well, yeah, okay, sure. Um, all, or also you could be really tactical about it and, you know, figure exactly what you want to give to the world. Yeah. Well, and I have started a book. So in college, I wrote a book about, uh, I think I was calling it like how to start a startup because I, I joined the entrepreneur club towards the end of my college career and it changed my life. And I thought, like, where has this been? Right. Like, how come I didn't know this right when I set foot on campus? And uh, the draft was 400,000 words before I destroyed it. <laughs> um, I, was, destroyed I, was, it. I was scared of being found out, right, as an imposter. <laughs> so I, I wiped it. And um, I did write, I wrote a hundred stories this year. And then I thought, well, maybe I could somehow put those into an anthology. But um, yeah, I, I haven't, you know, tackled a book project seriously, but I think it'll happen. The question is when. Um, so I, I love to go deeper. First, I just want to call out when you started telling the story, you said my understanding, and that might be a good segue into, let's say the the world of how humans communicate. Um, I love saying my understanding because it's like, hey, I could be wrong. This is not the capital T truth. Beware, warning, or based on my study, right? And then people can say, well, how much have you studied? It's like uh, approximately three decades, right? Versus uh, approximately three days, <laughs> right? Um, three decades, five decades. I mean, it depends on how well did you study. One of my yeah. mentors is 28 years old. And I pick mentors usually somewhere between five and 20 years younger than me because they have the qualities that I look for, generally speaking. I find the folks that I, I do admire, folks who are older than me, but I often find that they're missing some of the qualities that I'm looking for in a mentor specifically. Um, like you can, you're a bit younger than me, but what matters more to me is effectiveness 
with your skill of what you get done. And what matters more to me is also your curiosity like that, where you're, you're understanding that, yeah, this is what my understanding is so far, but I don't have a Daryl intelligence agency who can like my agents risking their <laughs> lives going out there and just like coming back with the real deal funded to trillions of dollars and like really infiltrating all the top levels of the control mechanisms of this world to really give me the real deal scoop on things. I don't have that. Right. All I have is what you have. I have access right. to right. trying to read between the lines and, you know, considering how much of the, the concept, the revelation of the method is going on. Uh, have you heard that concept? The revelation of the method. Oh, no, teach me. So it's this idea in Freemasonry and other occult sciences that the ruling class, in order to perpetuate, uh, or I say per perpetrate specific, really hardcore events upon the vast numbers of humanity, need to tell everyone what they're up to first in order to have permission to do it. And they do so in the many forms of books and writings and even within movies and fiction and such, uh, even TV shows where they're they're literally revealing everything. Some aspects of predictive programming, that's where you have, you know, in many people know about the Matrix series where in the Matrix, you know, published, uh, I'm sorry, like that, that movie came out in 1999. And there you look at, you know, Neo's going into this building and... He opens the open the passport and it says it expires 9-11-2001 and right there on the passport, you know, oh, wow. and there's I many instances. That. So there's this is one. I mean, the Simpsons have like a slew of look up the Simpsons yeah. predictive programming and you'll see a slew of things where they published what happened way before it does happen mm -hmm. over and over again. So the revelation of the method is example like that, where before this whole thing going on right now this is this is september 1st 2021 we're in the midst of what i call world war covid you know as the the next warfare of you know 80 year cycles of warfare is kind of like this kind of world warfare basically affecting all continents affecting many many people that kind of world war and the old and you know as is kind of predictable they can't get away with making it the same kind of war of a country against like all the countries or something like that they have to make it creative in this case they made it all the people who are divided on i trust the governments that they care about me and the people who have studied history and understand that that could never be so so they've divided people into are you a rebel like basically and you're going to go against what is demanded of you in terms of taking vaccines or getting and getting vaccine passports and following all these mandates and arbitrary lockdowns and such? Or are you going to be a good slave and follow orders? And the division between people, dividing people up like that, which is very like necessary in order to make this type of warfare happen. Um, and of course, the education methods that were going on in the last century really perpetrated a lot of that too, to get people and oh, oh yeah, there's my little caveat. This is my understanding of the situation. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. But here, my understanding, I think, is that they damaged people's methods of critical thinking over the last couple hundred years, especially. Um, but especially the last 100 years with the consolidation of the government school system, mandatory government school system. 
uh, and that rem making, you know, basically giving children damaged forms of critical thinking, since children are born with an actual intact, though nascent and, and very um, not self-aware, like an, an implied critical thinking is built into all mammals and children, in my opinion. But if it's damaged, then there and there are ways specifically to damage it, like the call, uh, called logical fallacies, like the appeal to authority and the appeal mm -hmm. to the majority and look up logical fallacies. Um, there's games for that, including don't fallacy dot me, where you could learn a fallacy a day or oh, nice. all 42 fallacies that are major or go further and learn 200 fallacies. But they're mostly variations of the 42 like that. Mm -hmm. And there are ways of fooling people. So it divides the people up with those who are curious and interested, like the younger mentors that I choose, and those who are firm and fixed in their conclusions, and they're not so flexible. They've lost flexibility. Just like old people have physically lost flexibility, too many of the old people have lost intellectual and emotional flexibility. And they also, the other thing is that I find that younger people, um, not all of them, but many enough, are great mentors for me because they have a great amount of humility. They know that they don't know everything. They know mm -hmm. that because they have gotten it wrong in the past and they have acknowledged that humility, they can acknowledge that they could be getting it wrong right now, like I am doing right now. I could be getting this whole show that we're making wrong right. <laughs> in some right. critical ways. I'll discover that later. Okay. And I can okay. acknowledge the, the possibility. And then, of course, there's courage. It takes courage to acknowledge humility. And, and to, it takes courage to have curiosity to say, what if governments are very untrustworthy and dangerous? What if there's a history of them hurting and killing at this point, what's called democide, um, non-warfare death of more than 300 million civilians across the 20th century alone? It, and, I, I, and then it, you add the warfare numbers and that, that increases a bit. What's called soft kill? in the the business of understanding democide or death by government um and that's d-e-m-o yes or, democide okay. like as in demos the people and side mean like part of genocide okay um, there's a um, paper on democide that you could look up to i want to keep going down this road and before we we continue yeah. uh when you say they who, who is they? Like you could say uh, the, the cabal, the Illuminati, or can we make they more specific? From my understanding, mm -hmm. I think that <laughs> the, those who would be the largest controllers of movements of units of power, which does include money in the banking systems, those who control those aspects, what's going on, are very in control of the molding of perception management of all people. And I'm going to take it that for you and me and uh, a bunch of our friends that we'd like to hang out with or connect with or collaborate with, we've been in a process of stepping away from what was delivered to us as perception management uh, as children. Uh, we weren't gifted like those who are in the, in the ruling class, those who go to Lurice, the school in Switzerland, on the, on the edge of uh, Switzerland, France, like there. And that tuition is $137,000 a year for a boarding school for, you know, we're talking, you know, uh, high school and below that, basically. And those are the most powerful children, you know, the children of the most powerful elite go there and they probably get the real deal for what's going on. They also make connections that last a lifetime. You know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's 
it's more it's more than a couple million dollars all told just to have your child go all the way through that kind of system mm-hmm. but they end up meeting the future princes and emirs prime ministers presidents ceos and and even there's some musicians where like whole bands get together where you know there's a public image of the band like that oh they had grassroots they all got together and it's like actually no they were extremely wealthy and they met in that specific school and like they went band? on it um i'm gonna have to pull that one up from um like which one that was okay. I, I wish okay. i had prepared for that one but what i'm saying is the rule you to get back to the question a simple term of calling them the ruling class uh i like to call it that way is they are a class of what my friend richard grove calls intraspecific kleptoparasites intraspecific meaning like of our same species seemingly you know mm-hmm. <laughs> could be reptiles but seemingly human and then kleptoparasites meaning they steal a lot of mm-hmm. they steal lives and wealth and control mechanisms they steal choice away from everyone mm-hmm. through the mechanisms of control through the monopoly systems what's called government through the monopoly systems of money the way it's generally handled and used and and through that control has orchestrated the vast majority seemingly of tragedies that have been you know known to be happening including this present world war covid going on which has you know from the moment it started the massive wealth increase of the top 50 billionaires of the world was you know you know huge there was a huge volatile amount like they obviously were very well positioned to make a lot of money and it shows it in their growth of their net worth like that which is public information so when i mentioned the revelation of the method like i think that the only way that all of this stuff can go keep going on is because people don't read and they don't really their method of thinking has been to some degree damaged and their method of emotional balance to even accept what I'm saying right now, which some people would call like hardcore red pilling or taking mm. the red pill of the matrix metaphor to take it in to say, OK, um, like like for me, red pills are like, you know, Jolly Ranchers. They're they're kind of uh, <laughs> they're, 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 they're bitter in terms of like too much sugar is not good for me, but it's like I can absorb them. I can handle a lot of them like that because mm-hmm. I have I've dealt with them enough before. But for someone who's not used to them, they choke on one and they'd yeah. rather run away and go back to there's a tribal type of thinking that happens every 80 years, as I might have mentioned, where people collect together in these groups where they feel that they have an identity around belief systems. Again, instead of being curious and flexible, like I choose with my mentors, they have chosen to be in a group that is less curious and more rigid and firm on their conclusions, mm-hmm. basically religious. And, right. and it, it helps to, they preserve their identity because they, around these ideas that they're connected to these people, their spouse, their friends, their family, their coworkers around ideas that helps them feel that they have continuity in their life. Otherwise, their life would not make as much sense if they had been making tragic choices based on inaccurate information, hurting themselves and making small and large tragedies in their lives and in the lives of people that they care about. That's a big red pill to swallow right there. That's that's a lot, you know. Do you know anyone who 
kind of fits that category? Do you know people who like basically some of the stuff I've mentioned, they would rather die than acknowledge the like the the evidence that I would have to support what I was giving? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I like to think my audience isn't in that group, but um, I also I, I would call it like uh, I dose my audience with red pills for, for, for lack of a better term. And oh, that's your um, audience. Like, yeah, about, but, like, but you know. outside of it. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, many, many people, frankly. And um, yeah, I, I'm I mean, I'm not going to name drop folks on the air, but yes, absolutely. And I'm curious about these cycles. Are these 80, uh, two main things emerge from what you said. First, like why 80 years? What's the thinking or is that a natural cycle? And then also this revelation of the method. If I'm going to punch you in the nose, you know, a great way for me to get away with it is to just punch you. I'm not going to say, okay, Daryl, square up breathe i'm going to punch you in the face right why would someone reveal their method especially if they're going to do something evil why would they do that in advance i don't understand it exactly like some type of soul contract ahead of time in, in a way like where it was given that if the information is revealed ahead of time it's a an intelligence test kind of like whether you're intelligent and you do research on ingredients of medical of treatments for example um, since I don't care, I'll mention it, the, the COVID vaccines that are going around mm -hmm. and, and around the world, I think that there's, there's probably more than eight of them, eight different ones, but they have listed ingredients and then they have unlisted ingredients, you know? And so for me, the intelligence test is, are you intelligent enough to read ingredients by this point in 2021 and consider the, the actual dangers of what you're taking in, or are you not so intelligent? And you're just trusting of authorities and you actually cling to a fear story and the story of your tribe, uh, like a tribe of people that that does include, um, you know, there's a lot of in the Mankind Project, the older people are very, very trusting seemingly and they're comfortable a bit, you know, frequently wealthy lives, um, like wealthy enough so that they have time for a three hour group experience every week or every other week you know, where, and that takes up nighttime, like usually, um, that's usually a, a well-off person, not so much with those in the, you know, um, 30 year old or, or 20 year old demographic where you're working for the money and you're chasing the pussy and you're trying to get the things, you know, and you don't have the time for that, you know, like who's got time for that. So yeah. those who do have time for it, they, they seem to have become, lulled by their sense of affluence and security having trusted doctors for this long and governments for this long they continue to do so and they followed the simplest blunder of just not doing their homework and thinking that they're smarter than they are called the you know the, the dunning-kruger effect where they because they have some like um there's actually like a a chart showing vaccine hesitancy of who who's the most hesitant and who's the least Mm -hmm. And it starts with most hesitant, like up really high is those, you know, high school dropouts because you self-educated, you actually now, the, you know, the internet, you actually are fully researching things. You probably, if you're, you might even be self-made and then it goes down as you have bachelors, you know, like then there's less hesitancy and then finally master's degrees where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I needed a master's mm -hmm. in order to get a license of acupuncture and I'm, I'm a licensed acupuncturist also. So then like I'm, I'm in that group where they're the most credible, the most trusting of governments and various 
multi-billion dollar agencies that's, you know, for the first time ever supposedly care about us and our health. And then it goes back up again once you go into the PhD and doctorate levels, where once again, now they study about deeper, going higher up on the mountain of knowledge. And that's where the hesitancy starts. I think that that's like, I'm trying to describe the intelligence tests going on, Mm -hmm. that this could be a large sequence of intelligence tests to see how much will you hurt yourself in the process of trying to, you know, uh, stay with your tribe that you, you love and, and that like loves you because you share certain beliefs, mm-hmm. not too dissimilar to the fervent religious beliefs of the Middle East or, you know, certain Christian sects or right. you know, Jewish right. sects like that. And mm-hmm. the 80-year cycle um, comes from at least two books, Pendulum okay. by Drew Michael and Roy Williams. Uh, I've been through that book a couple of different times. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they make the case using evidence that they audited a co- like twice to try to like use a whole different set of evidence to see if it would add up mm-hmm. for certain 80 year cycles going from the, the we time that we're approaching Zenith of we, uh, where basically it, you know, in the worst part of the we, it becomes a witch hunt. And literally in 80 year cycles, you go back the last 80 year cycle there was World War II, where it was a full division and you have concentration camps again, you know, like that, where right. they're dividing right. people in North America, concentration camps and Europe, European theater concentration camps. And of course, in Asia and that theater concentration mm-hmm. camps. And then 80 years before that, you have the Civil War in America and Napoleonic Wars over in Europe mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, more division between brother division between brothers in in North America. Mm -hmm. You have this banking cartel funding both of those wars going on and profiting massively and building up their wealth. I'm talking, looking at you, Rothschilds, you know, (laughs) both Napoleonic uh, and and wars and the the American Revolutionary War. They made a lot of money on those. And then 80 years before that, you have the Revolutionary War, uh, the so-called American Revolutionary War and the various European theater wars at the same time. And the conquest of the North American continent, you know, simultaneously, all of that, like taking over every warfare is all about capturing markets, my opinion. And then 80 years before that, you, you know, you get to actually go to the real deal of the Salem witch trials and, and, you know, like that, where you have, you know, real, uh, the real witch hunt going on, the opposite of the we that we're coming to the zenith of is 40 years away from that back, which is 1983. That's the zenith of me, you know, that was the last one. And that the worst part of me is uh, it becomes hero worship. Presidents and rulers need to look really good and clean like Reagan. They can't be extremely crazy, questionable like Trump. You know, Mm -hmm. they they cannot they, they cannot have such a tarnished image, you know, divorces and such like that. They need to look really pure. And it becomes, of course, phony posing, um, yeah. like like you know we're talking Madonna and Material Girl, you know, like that. It like and and shoulder pads and big hair and it's it's just kind of phony ish, but it's a very individualistic focus versus mm-hmm. the collectivism that has become in vogue. The authors, you know, of the Pendulum, uh, just Pendulum by uh, the the they just were writing this from the perspective of being marketers. Okay. They understood okay. that you needed to change your strategy for marketing towards we when it's in the we era. 
and you need to change it back to me when it's in the me era. And if you don't do that, you don't make as much money. You'll lose clients. You'll you'll lose basically mm-hmm. if you don't pivot with what it is. So they're riding the waves of it. They're they're and they're just laying it out there, just mm-hmm. saying here's, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of evidence to show, you know what what constitutes a we time like what we're in right now, and what constitutes a me time like I experienced back in the eighties and the build up towards it throughout the seventies and and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of it's a simplistic version of of understanding world events. Uh, the great turning. Uh, no, the fourth turning. I'm sorry. The fourth turning is another book that I haven't acquired yet, but that goes also into these 20 year cycles, which again, you can put stack together and they, they look like um, very much what pendulum has to offer. Okay. Um, Thank you for that explanation. And uh, man, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but where I want to go next is uh, aliens. If you, if you're down to talk about aliens. Um, All right. (laughs) So I make no claims. This is uh Again, this is really at the edge of my competence and um, my understanding of, you could call it the, the Rothschilds. My understanding is that that derives etymologically from red shield. And basically yeah. there is a, so if you don't believe in extraterrestrials at all, like you should just turn this shit off because you're not going to like it. But if you're open to that idea, um, there's a type of extraterrestrial called the Draco or Dracos. And based on my understanding, the Dracos came to this planet because they had lost their souls or they lost their capacity for long-term memory. And what happens when you have that type of conundrum is you're basically uh, parasitic, right? And it's like, well, what does it mean to be a parasite? It's like, well, the way I carry that is you don't have a full auric field, right? Or you're lacking in energy or life force. So you have to get energy and life force from other beings, right? Which is what parasites do. They get their energy and life force from other beings. And my understanding is that they came here and they have used humans as a means of um, re-ensoulment, basically. They, they need to use us to find their souls again, which explains a lot of this, um, you could call it parasitic behavior or why people talk about things like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg's a little lizard person, or Jeff Bezos is a lizard person, and and who are these lizard people? And um, that ties into a little bit of my understanding of RH negative blood type. Have you looked into that or familiar with that at all? A a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a movie called Monkey Blood. Okay. And I think think the author is Lynn Powers. I, I, it's, um, the, the ring of power is the bigger production that Lynn Powers did ring of power is talking about the three major city states that seem to control the world and monkey blood goes into the RH negative part. I'm rusty on the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, I am familiar with what everything you just spoke of, Mm -hmm. because I, I certainly have tapped into enough David Icke and, um, and many other authors that made um, made the claims that you were describing, mm-hmm. um, and and they made them more as a firm claim. I make right. it as a soft right. claim, where I would say, um, if I had to bet on it, I would bet that that's how it works, like right. that. Right. And that might be indeed part of the revelation of the method to draw it back to that. 
-hmm. is that in order to make these soul contracts, it would be necessary to basically um, reveal what they're doing and get some form of unconscious, sometimes conscious uh, agreement to go through with these, I don't know, incredible and frequently tragic events that that we're aware of like that. Um, yeah. And and that could that could be involved with that. Um, a, a draconian alien war to capture the whole galaxy. Um, I got that one from Stuart Swerdlow, who's okay. uh, um, got some interesting books on the topic alleged to be part of the Montauk project. That's a very important. That's an important book for people to be aware of. Um, alleged to be having been abducted by a variety of different aliens and given galactic history, um, just entering in Stuart Swerdlow galactic history into your DuckDuckGo search engine. And you could find some nice bits on that one. And, I, you know, because it, it doesn't touch on anything medically or even financially contentious, you could even find it through Google search. Okay. <laughs> uh, and search engine that I only used for specific reasons nowadays. It's kind of like navigated away to other search engines to get accurate information on contentious topics. And it's kind of funny how like aliens are no longer as much of a contentious topic. I think that they want to really get people to think on that one a lot more. I mean, like a lot of people might have mentioned, I'm not sure, have you ever heard someone say, Drew, like, you know, I'm just waiting for them to, you know, ramp it up and turn it into fake alien invasion next, you know, from this World War COVID situation. <laughs> I haven't heard that yet, but I'm not surprised to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, fake, I mean, like there could be elements of real to it, but like with high levels of technology that I suspect the ruling class have real access to with their real one world military going on instead of the fake separate country militaries and their little artillery things going on. Um, I think that that would there's a potential is what I'm saying that that could be what's happening, that they're just going in that direction. And <clears throat> that, that there's a plan, of course, to just say, okay, okay, I guess we've milked the whole infectious virus thing as far as we can take it. And now we want to have real death type military kind of actions, but we have to make it different and new can't have it like be the same as usual with like, you know, the Western countries versus Russia versus China or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, no, we're going to have everyone come together to fight the aliens, even if yeah. they're fake aliens, you know, and like they're just manufactured props to essentially uh, get people all to submit to further devastation uh, and especially reduction of choice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because um, there's a great post on um, the blog, wait, but why? I really like Wait But Why. And they talk about, um, I'm blanking on the, I want to say, I'm blanking on the name of the post, but it talks about this concept of emergence. And they say that humans are interesting because we fluctuate along this emergence tower. So to give a little bit more context, um, let's say you look at an ant, you're like, what the hell is that guy doing? That makes no sense. But then you zoom out and you see the ant in the context of the colony. Yeah. The behavior of the ant makes a lot more sense. and with humans, what's interesting is we have this selective tribalism, right? So that's why we have instances like two kids in high school will battle each other at gym class, but then after school, maybe they're teammates on a football team and they battle against another school, right? And then maybe um, you go to an all-star tournament 
right? And you're on the same all-star team and you battle against another state, right? And then eventually maybe you become a region and you battle against another region, right? And um, we unite against increasingly larger foes. So if you want a larger group to come together, you create a larger foe. And yeah. if you want to break people apart, you create more and more smaller foes. So it sounds like just logically, right? It makes sense that if we are all to come together or if we're all to think the same thing, we need a really, really big common enemy to make that possible. Right. And right now, the common enemy in too many people's mind is that viruses are contagious and that there's a specific virus that's killing lots of people. And if you just happen to believe the information coming out of the same five major companies that produce this information and have mass produced this, then you'll you'll be in that camp of hope, you know, probably fear and just obedience. And as I've mentioned on other shows, the obedient are about to have a really bad time, in my opinion, you know, like that, because I don't. I don't really see things going really well for people who've accepted these vaccines into them for most of them, because I don't think they have the medical knowledge of understanding what they just have done and what the consequences down the line of that are going to be. So it's like a large intelligence test from my perspective. And, you know, on, on the other side, of course, there's those who would just be less credible for taking the, the party line coming from, again, those five major media companies owned again by like the two major financial holding companies. I'm looking at you, BlackRock and Vanguard, you know, with the multi-trillion dollar holding companies that seem to coordinate the banks that actually own those specific major media corporations. And for people who don't understand all of that, they're, you know, that's on them, basically. That might be on like a, some type of hidden soul agreement that they're there to just follow along and possibly become infertile and even die with blood clots and other problems soon, soon being like, you know, one to five years and a huge reduction of population in a softer way by lots of people suddenly becoming infertile like that, right. which is the other, the other deal. If you've heard of the Georgia Guidestones. Ah, okay. So the Georgia Guidestones were erected back in the eighties and by uh, a, a pseudonym person, R.C. Christian, they are a series of multi-ton blocks of granite that have etched into them rules of humanity for the future, for sustainability of one of them being to maintain the human population to 500 million people. And, and, that's, and, and these blocks of granite, this is infamous. They are written in eight different languages. English is one of them. Sumerian is one of them. So um, <laughs> are these in the state of Georgia, like the United States? This or is Georgia, in Georgia. Oh, this, the state of Georgia, uh, not too humongous of a drive away from Atlanta. Um, okay. But, you know, I'm I'm over here on the big island of Hawaii. So, you know, for me, it's it's uh, very, very far away. But were you just to look up, you know, it has a Wikipedia page, Georgia Guidestones. You can read them for yourself. Um, there's many videos of them. It's been, uh, it's what I call a gang sign of the ruling class, you know, okay. like similar to a spray paint graffiti of a gang mm -hmm. sign in inner Brooklyn or something like that, where they, they've claimed their territory with their tag, right? Okay. In this instance, I see it as them throwing down 
hey, here's what we're going to do to you. We're going to maintain human population to 500 million. In order to get to 500 million, that means a whole lot of people dying. Right. And right. so to do that, there's many ways to do that. But one of the softest ways to do that would be to have you know, a lot of people suddenly becoming infertile over a span of time and then the population reducing that way. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you threw in an actual sort of explosive or artillery type warfare into the mix or a weird alien invasion and conscription and death and mayhem, um, <laughs> I don't know which way that the ruling class actually have it planned because, again, I don't have a Daryl intelligence agency, but... <laughs> That's kind right. of where my speculation goes. Okay, so I want I want to shift gears to yeah. let's say someone is I don't know new new to this red pilling thing, right? Yeah. What what can they do to maybe maximize their individual freedoms, liberty, personal sovereignty? So I would say I'm in this camp of kind of similar to you. Like, hey, uh, what often happens to me is like I don't know what the truth is, but I know this is horseshit, right? Like whatever I'm being fed is BS. And then the next question is, and what do I do about it? Or what should I do about it? I think it's important to take an understanding of your spheres of control and your spheres of influence around you. And um, to think as an individual, as a number one, and, and not think in terms of group. So like, for example, we landed on the moon and, you know, we fought, you know, Nazi Germany and things like that. It's like, no, you did not. Probably, you know, you know, right. like, I mean, unless you are an actual veteran or of some sort, like who did, who was part of that, you did not. And you certainly did not go to the moon. You're not. Stop saying we stop thinking in collective terms and stop thinking about world problems and start thinking about your own life. Your biggest sphere of control and sphere of concern is yourself, your thoughts and your feelings. How well are you at thinking? How well are you at balancing your emotional terrain? You know, and have you ever heard someone say, Drew, you're too in your head. You need to get into your heart. Has anyone said that to you? Um, or maybe not, the other way around. Yeah, not usually, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm familiar with the ideas for sure. I, I've certainly heard it, but I've, I mean, I've also seen other people be told that. My opinion was just the other way around where no, it just they people are um, inefficiently in their head and they're in, mm. you know, they're they're not effectively having an effective method to balance their emotional terrain. The the thoughts are there to be effective, not to have like an open loop that's not closed and it just keeps repeating the same thing. I'm a failure. Money is evil. I can't handle this. I will never find a true lover. You know, my mm. like I'll never find the one. You know, right. my, I missed my chance. She was the one that got away. I, like all these open loops like that, that. And then the emotional aspect that goes along with that narrative story. And so what I'd implore people to consider instead would be you can learn for yourself a methods to critically think better and more effectively. And you can learn methods like you had with the NBC teacher in the last show to balance your emotional terrain on the inside. Apply everything in that show to yourself only, inside yourself only, as much as possible. Not as a communication method to another person, not until you get good at it, but as a method to communicate to yourself, to understand your quadrants of what you're thinking and your five senses coming in. That's the first quadrant of NBC. And then 
what the emotions are and just acknowledging them for real like that, being honest about it. And that shows you like each emotion shows you the qualities in the third quadrant that they call needs. And I like to call values. They're abstract qualities that inspire thoughts and feelings that you, you have like a terrain of values that inspire your thoughts and feelings. And that motivates you to take action. That's the fourth quadrant that they call requests. So you have a chance to learn these skills and to understand that you have the biggest control over yourself, that you can then choose to try to think more effectively. So you don't longer have an open loop. You're like, no, actually, I didn't miss the chance. There wasn't a one that got away. That was, there's lots of good ones out there. You know, and when it comes to relationships, for example, you didn't miss a chance to make like the last chance to make money. There's lots of chances right now to make lots of money if that's what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And like it's a it's an idea of abundance rather than scarcity and the emotions are there to show you the things that they show you i hope that i didn't really listen to the show that you did with him but you know for simplistic version joy is to tell you that you've got it whatever the quality is that you want fear is to show you that you're afraid you're going to lose a quality for example safety and security because there's a dangerous virus going on you know and like then you have anger to show you that you want something, but you don't have it. Like when you, when you don't have a relationship and you want one, or you don't have enough money and you want it. And sadness is to show you that you lost something when you lost a connection to someone or uh, a desirable quality or things, or, or even, you know, events that, that happened that you wish just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And they're there to show you what you really, really deeply want which if you understand the abstract, the third quadrant of those values that they call needs in NBC lingo, then you can take steps to get that value in an effective win-win way without making someone else lose or without you know, literally fighting nature. You can step out of that. You can think as an individual and then you can choose to collect together with like-minded individuals who are on an uplifting path of seeing themselves as an individual wanting for only voluntary, 100% voluntary interactions with other people and never initiating aggression against people or their property. If you can stick with just that, that's the principles of what's called voluntarism and the non-aggression principle, you have a chance to find the people who will uplift your life, find people who make an offer before a podcast to do some free marketing work for you, find people who (laughs) want to just, you know, actually show up <laughs> and want to be there for you like that you know um <laughs> sorry that was yeah. too good i i can't stop exactly laughing. yeah it's like yeah daryl's going off on something oh my god he just made it personal you know <laughs> oh, that was that was just great that's um, that was that was uh intentional you know yeah, so you, you got yeah. the picture you have a chance like to i'm speaking to the audience now to you the audience mm-hmm. to to take power for yourself. You have a chance to understand that you can learn microbiology. You can read The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. You can read Virus Mania. That, that these books are offered on archive.org for free. They are out there. You can literally go through all of the books for free right now. And, or you could be like me and just pay money to audible.com and I listen to all of Virus Mania. You can try to disprove things that you religiously want to believe is true. 
once you step away from needing to believe what your tribe, your chosen spouse, your friends, your family all think and believe fervently, you have a chance to step out, try to disprove things that you really want to be true. And maybe you might find that, you know, some of it adds up. Like I, I still haven't been convinced that it's a flat earth, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, you know, I mean, if I have found the evidence that convinced me that I'm in a freaking simulation that actually is a flat earth, you know, mm-hmm. then, okay, I'll believe it. But until right. then it, it seems round to me and, and I'll, but I'll, I'll audit my conclusions. I'll try to disprove my, my theories about viruses, about pathogens, various medical topics, because that's my, my job is medicine. I'll try to disprove my, my ideas that I've concluded for years around vaccines, for example, and immunology. I'll try to audit and, and, and go against what I concluded for a while. Mm-hmm. If you have the fortitude, you have a chance to learn is what I'm saying. You have a chance to think better like, and more effectively, more efficiently. So you're not in open loops anymore. You're effective with, as a thinker. And you always are agnostic, always embracing uncertainty instead of embracing a religious belief and certainty. It makes it so much easier just to be agnostic and uncertain until the moment where you need to take action. See, that's the, that's the caveat right there. Like I have actions here I take in my clinic. I need to be certain that I'm doing the most optimal thing for the health of my client. But after that, I fully am back to agnosticism and uncertainty. And I'm questioning exactly what I did. Right. Because I like the results I get from that. Instead of trying to fit people that I work for into a mold of how it needs to be like that. I, th- I think that was my attempt at answering your question. <laughs> that, that was great. Um, that brought up a few things. So I, I don't know if I would call it a rebuttal, but what was coming up for me was um, I think a lot of individualism leads to, you know, rivalrous zero sum dynamics. You can maybe say that's like the dark side of individualism, but I would say later down the road in your answer, you mentioned uh, volunteerism. How am I saying that? Voluntaryism. Voluntary. Voluntary plus ism. It's got a wiki page. And the non-aggression principle. And so I think I would say the dark side of individualism often happens when people are aggressive, right? They do things as an individual that they know hurt others, right? Often due to, let's say, fear, uh, lack of creativity, some combination. And how does one, you know, also, I think we have these fundamental um, needs for like community, connection, right? Touch, affection. Yes. So how do we balance being an individual with maybe the dark side and also the needs for being in community. What if the idea that there is a dark side of individualism is a myth that was perpetuated by those, you know, major perception management companies that have been working so hard? That would be a question. Just put that one over on on the side for a second Mm -hmm. to answer it. Like, most individuals do have a need to collect together as individuals and form a, a community. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a thing called Dunbar's number. It's around mm-hmm. 250 people that you can have a meaningful, tight and uh, effective connection with. And, and obviously for many of us, like it's less than 250, you know, um, but it really maxes out really, really rapidly. So you're never going to collect together as a we or we all believe and we all do this. When you think of tragedies, Drew, 
think of what's the what's going to be a bigger impact tragedy one individual who chooses to be violent or fraudulent and tries to take what is someone else's whether their wealth or their life even mm-hmm. or what's going to be or or the tragedy of a group of people who all fervently believe that they're doing good and they're going to take from people because it it must be for the common good they're going to force people and take away their choice they're going to kill the wrong people who are doing the wrong thing and the history of the world that i've studied the individual who chooses to go and be destructive like that is the anomaly and causes way less damage than the group of people the collective who comes together in large groups to cause damage mm-hmm. the individual can be dealt with by other individuals especially if we start talking about the second amendment traditions of the united states and specific states of the union they have the understanding that we're all armed to protect each other not mm-hmm. to aggress upon each other and if anyone steps out of that perspective as would happen in a place like Texas, for example, they're going to quickly find that as an individual who is desiring to cause tragedy and lift themselves up like that selfishly in that way, they're going to be uh, facing a lot of potential, you know, guns against them if they were Mm -hmm. to try to do that. In disarmed places, like where I live in Hawaii um, and and many other blue states, so-called democratic majority states, too many people are disarmed. They've become passive and just taking in that the collective is there to serve people. They've taken in the, you know, the greatest good for the greatest number myths and that the individual must sacrifice himself for the greater good of the the collective. Mm-hmm. And that that is exactly the type of mythology that I say is the opposite of reality. I think that if you looked into natural law, you'd find out that it's not the order giver that bears the responsibility for actions. It's the order follower the one who actually perpetrates the tragedy with action. That's the person that does it. So in a collective, there's order followers, but it, with individualistic cultures who understand that you can't grow beyond the Dunbar's number effectively, they already know that. So they only know that they, they only have small hurt individuals who are then likely to try to hurt others. And all you need to do is control for them. Their tragedies are small because they're individuals. Once they collect together in larger groups, now it's collectivism. It's no longer something that is so easily controllable. And the destructive nature of collectivism far outweighs the small individual destructiveness of a person who honestly had to be hurt first in order for them to perpetuate hurt on others. And that's that's something that I would I would want to point out right there. It might be very much going back to the question I asked you to put aside. What if the myth that individuals are dangerous and destructive was perpetuated by the perception management genius of the Tavistock Institute, the Royal Institute for International Affairs over there in England, the you know, the, the people who own the major media companies and putting that message of the danger of the individual and the need for the collective and the common good into tons of media, movies, fiction, TV shows, books. What if this has been perpetuated for years? What do you think? <laughs> I think I think it's tricky because I think there's truth on both sides of the fence, right? Like they say humans are social animals, you know, and, and sure. humans are also neotenous. So like 
you know, a calf pops out of its mama and starts walking and like a human baby left alone, like it'll, it'll just die. Right. And so yeah. I think, um, cause at the same token, right. When humans collaborate, they can create great harm and they can also create great good. Right. I think what, whatever it's kind of like money's an amplifier, like, Hey, if you're wealthy, whether you're good or evil, that's just going to get ratcheted up. I don't know how much truth, truth there is to that, but, um, I, I guess, um, to try to make sense of that, um, a group of individuals acting together to cause harm is definitely much more harmful than, than one person, right. Than, than one idiot for sure. Um, and the and, individual would be easier to handle than the group. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah, way easier. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. why, why the concern about the ind individualism then? And I would say that my, my, my conclusion was they want you to feel disempowered. They want you to, to collect together and be fervent in a religious belief system. Right now, scientism is the new mm -hmm. religious belief system. I believe in yeah. science. I trust yeah. the science. Right. You've heard that right. one before, maybe? Yes. Yes. Well, I, I think, I, I guess the flip side of that coin is, um, and, and I'm curious on your thoughts, like what about people who band together to, to do good things, right? That they couldn't do alone. Like, let's say the, the Amish building a house. I don't know if that's a good example. Or they're not collectivists. A... They're, they're, they're just, they're living in community, but they okay. own their own places and they don't, they, they made agreements with each other that is indeed a group thing. And they have mm -hmm. certain other strong and firm conclusions that they unite around, um, some of which are beneficial, some of which are mm -hmm. potentially tragic, mm -hmm. you know, because we could, you could see like, it doesn't take much to look into any religion. Mm -hmm. And the Amish mm -hmm. certainly have a very fervent forms of, you know, strong beliefs, mm -hmm. but they voluntarily collect together. That's the difference. They are voluntarily able to leave. In fact, they actually have a birthright situation in their culture, similar to the Australian walkabout, where the young ones in Amish culture are very strongly encouraged to go out into the world beyond their Amish communities and mm -hmm. experience the world and, and do whatever they want, you know, sex, drugs, whatever they want. And if mm -hmm. they come back, they're welcome to come back and live in that. Or they can just never come back too, you know, but yeah. they're welcome at yeah. any point because it's voluntary. When it's compulsory, that's where the issue is. So people will always collect together because of the, the, the synergy power of innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, that's mm -hmm. why, um, you know, like this, the stuff, everything that you heard me share, apparently Daryl didn't write any of that stuff. He just read this stuff or watched this stuff and things like that, right. or listened to right. audiobooks, right. Uh, most of it. And that's true because I'm, I'm standing on these shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. voluntary collecting together with people to a little bit here and there and in small amounts, respecting boundaries and ownership and property and making innovation completely the opposite where the, the people who are required to follow along with a narrow set of, of course, we're open-minded to questions. Here's your list of available questions for oh, me, God. Drew. <laughs> I know, you know, of course I'm open-minded, oh, uh, here, you know, and, and, and by the way, right. you can research whatever you want. Here's right. your available sources that you're allowed to research right. there from right. sources, you know, and you can just keep going yeah. on like that yeah. of like, that sounds the opposite of, of the freedom. The individual is going to naturally trope in the direction of freedom. 
of what yeah. most optimizes their life. There is no collective. That's a, that's a figment of the imagination. There is only the each individual and their perception of collecting together with specific other people. And then, of course, their imagination, usually falsely, that they're part of a large humanity. Um, I bet if I can ask my cat, is there all of cat kind? I mean, how do you countenance this for like, you know, and oh, you cats have done great things. You know, you, you, you know, like you, you must be really proud. Like, oh, we we conquered the rats. We conquered the mice, you know, and you'd be right, like, right. I right. I don't know what my cat would say. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. There is no all of cat kind. I'm right. fully an individual. Right. I don't even like most cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Okay. So I, I think what I want to try to do now is I'm, I think I'm grokking this better and I'm thinking like, oh man, is there a, a, a visual way to depict this? Because um, I think I was, I was straw manning you a little bit where um, I don't know if I'd call them dimensions, but you have individualism and you have collectivism, but then also yeah. you have this voluntarism and this non-aggression principle and individualism becomes most powerful when combined with voluntarism and the non-aggression principle because a, a coercive individual is still a dick right they're less powerful than a collective group of coercive people but they're they're a dick nonetheless so and, yeah. and then you could say a a group of individuals practicing voluntarism and the non-aggression principle are that's a very powerful group right and I think um, that's probably closer to what I was trying to say before, because the parts about voluntarism and non-aggression are, I would say, critical, right? It's like, hey, are you here willingly, right? Are you here because you are choosing to be here or because someone told you you have to be here? Or, hey, are you, are you doing this while knowingly committing harm, right? Those are really important and powerful questions. And, and I think if people don't do things willingly, that is, oh, that's dangerous, right? That that's very dangerous, and it gets very dangerous very fast. Um, yes. And yeah, I mean, to to circle back to vaccines a little. Um, first, I get scared of like saying this on the air, but um, you know, it's a, too a late. Question: it's, it's too late. And uh, a, a question I have for folks is uh, where I would say the government has just disrespected our individualism is. Um, if you ask me to wear a mask, I'm much more likely to put it on than if you tell me to wear it, right? Because it's like, oh, I, I can be courteous. Yeah, I'll do this. When you tell me I have to, F you. I don't have to do what you say, right? Or um, if it's like, wait a minute, we're getting a message that this vaccine is super healthy and awesome and it will help everybody. So why do you have to give out $100 to go do this super awesome, healthy thing, right? That doesn't, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. Um, it does when you imagine that there's been the destruction of critical thinking skills and that there's right, been a destruction right, of people's emotional right. balancing skills, thanks to the traumas that people have, you know, had to go through, unfortunately. And, and I don't know a single man or woman who has escaped the traumas to those two. I call it a destruction of the, the core mental emotional operating system that's intact with children. I have a daughter who's 25. I got to watch what happens like that they they start off with a very intact intellectual method of figuring out the world and a very mm -hmm. intact emotional system that is authentic and expressive of what's actually happening instead oh, of being man. suppressed yeah you know yeah. and and so when you have damaged adults men and women 
now you have these tragedies of those who would cling to the idea of uh, what's called authoritarianism. Have you heard of the political compass? You know, you could look uh, the, the political compass. There, there's a lot of uh, political compass quizzes out there. And it's just basically a, a grid, you know, X, Y kind of grid. Mm-hmm. where at the top is usually authoritarianism. How authoritarian are you? Mm-hmm. And there'll be quiz questions based on that. And at the bottom is how liberty focused are you? Mm-hmm. You know, some call it libertarianism, mm-hmm. but it's really about freedom of choice of the individual right. and how, right. how, you know, balanced individually are you like that? And on, on the left side is usually social aspects like social freedom. And a social control, actually, like, in other words, freedom is down by the liberty side and control is up by the authoritarian side. And on the right side is economic. So for the most part, I'm on the side of 100 percent down the bottom right, which is full 100 percent liberty and 100 percent economic freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, but honestly, it's also simultaneously I'm, I'm into social freedom, too. So you, you could pretend it's right, right smack at the bottom of the chart. And then some people, they have a story that they absorbed as a child that they might have believed for decades. And they don't have the humility to acknowledge that they could be wrong about that, because that takes humility to acknowledge that you were wrong for decades. Right. That they right. they cling to the idea that they that authoritarian control is necessary because people are bad. There are little memes about this. Oh, yeah. People are bad, so we need governments made up of people are bad, so we need governments made up of people are bad. Like, in other words, like that. Mm-hmm. And it's if you had logic, part of critical thinking, you would understand, no, that's called circular reasoning. People are not bad. I've traveled some internationally and across the U.S. mainland. Most people are awesome. Um, right. They right. have various levels of competence. And usually, though, they don't hurt people out of malevolence. Most people hurt people out of incompetence. They mean yeah. well. And, yeah. and, um, and most people are just generally helpful. I look around in most places I go, and if I suddenly collapsed, I could imagine that there'd be a lot of people stepping over to help me, you know, like yeah. that yeah. as an example yeah. of that. I want to I circle back a little because you mentioned something where um, I haven't shared this much. I think I've shared this with like two people. I've had this idea for a few weeks and it, it sounds kind of fucked up, but Hey, it's, it's the idea I've had that that childhood is just the giant process of gaslighting, right? Where, where <laughs> <laughs> you, you have this felt sense and then someone's like, no, you moron. Let me show you how you're supposed to interpret that. Right. And, and then you do that enough times and um, you stop trusting yourself or you stop trusting your intuition. Cause I, I had this habit for a long time where, and I, I still do it sometimes. I think if I'm really, really scared, right. Where some situation will occur and I won't breathe, lean into it and come up with some plan of action. I'll just immediately get emotional and then I'll hop on, you know, my, my crackberry, right. Or my iPhone and I'll, and I'll text people or I'll call people and be like, Hey, this happened. Is this crazy? Am I crazy? Right. Seeking validation. Seeking validation not even validation or confirmation. That's part of it for sure. But another part is like not trusting my own interpretation. It's like, Hey, something happened. And you know, a child would like have this felt sense. Right. And then because of maybe this programming or conditioning, it's like situation occurs. I have a felt sense. And then the programming is like, don't trust that shit. That's wrong. You should seek counsel from 
you know, authority figures or, or someone else. Like, how am I supposed to think about this? Right. And, and maybe the source yeah. I've chosen is you, you could say trusted friends or confidants. And in the last, I would say last roughly year, I've tried to undo that to where like something happens and it's like, okay, let me ground myself. Let me breathe. Let me think, let me feel right. Like, Hmm, what is actually going on here? You know, what am I really feeling? It's like, well, maybe I'm just not excited about this. Okay. That doesn't mean it's good or evil. Maybe it just means I'm not excited or, um, Hey, maybe I'm angry because I'm interpreting this wrong. Right. Or, or because I made up some story in my head. That's just not true. Yeah. And leaning more into, I don't know what I'd call it intuition or, or felt sense. And I guess to maybe circle back even further. Um, one of my favorite definitions of emotions is um, emotions are just preference indicators, right? So you're just constantly getting these preference indicators. And I was like, yes. Oh, there's, there's no such thing as, as positive or negative emotions or hierarchical emotions. I don't, I don't really subscribe to that idea, but like probably yeah. just pissed off a bunch of people, but I think that's a horseshit idea. And if you then think, okay, their preference indicators, that's aligned with this concept of, oh, our emotions are our teachers. Well, what are they trying to teach us? What are they trying to tell us? They're always trying to tell us something. And when we suppress them and we repress them all the time, that gets us away from our natural state, which is ease, right? Our natural state is ease. And we have a problem we call it dis-ease, the lack of ease, right? Ease is our natural state. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was but kind it, of a rant. But, but, yeah. but too much ease, of course, um, some people desire for achievement. Mm -hmm. And in order to have a satisfactory achievement, it, it can't be too easy. Yeah. So there yes. is that aspect too, like that. You know, in other words, um, it would be very dissatisfying if we were all literally built into couches and have everything like delivered to us, like with tubes and stuff, yes. you know, and yeah. we're like, we have everything. We're going to live forever like this. And the media, it just flops like right down whenever we want it. Yeah. We can do escapism. And, you yeah. know, that's a very dissatisfying yeah. life. Right? The, those feelings, um, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, you know, I, I have thoughts about medical situations, of course, because that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing I, I make the most money right. out of. And yeah those thoughts inspire feelings. Um, like I will have the frustration cause I want it to be otherwise a different result for someone that I'm getting. Mm -hmm. I can have the sadness when I, I completely lost it. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Like I know it's when a client does not get better at, and, or, and goes away and mm -hmm. I, I missed a chance to help someone somehow, or it just didn't work out basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel the fear when I, I'm, I'm afraid of what's going to happen mm -hmm. because someone's mm -hmm. in a really bad place, medically speaking, emotionally and mentally, especially, um, mm -hmm. some people are on some heavy duty psychiatric drugs, for example, and they're committed to not getting off of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, uh, fighting, uh, or I'm rather, I am, I have more struggle to figure out using my skills and creativity. How do I help get them to what they're asking for? You know? Um, oh yeah. And those, I mean, that feels like pissing into the wind. It's like, Hey, I'll help you if you relinquish that commitment. Right. But well, I, I, I could, know there, you know, I, I've, I've had to figure, do I want to make an ultimatum or do I want to just optimize the situation as best as I possibly can and know that I did my best since right, I might, right. I might designate, they're not ready to give up coffee. They're not ready to yeah. change their diet. They're not ready to get off the pills. 
right? They're not ready to go away from their chosen tribe's belief mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. their sense of con continuity and comfort and ease. And like you right. said, they want that ease and efficiency. That's third quadrant values. That's the what they call needs in NBC. Mm -hmm. They want that mm -hmm. so bad and they're going to continue the strategy that they're used to. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. around that. Um, I know, um, you know, I just want to make mention of this because I like, we, we have like kind of limited time, uh, two things. Okay. Um, I, I know you, you, you mentioned uh, before the show, you got basically your stuff kicked off of YouTube. Yes. Yeah. So there's the, 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 the obstacles of censorship, right? Like that uh -huh. seems to be real in your opinion. Oh, I mean, it happened to me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And not, not just to you, though. And not just and, and it, it wasn't for what you would consider a, a valid good reason, but like because that's there's no good reason for censorship. I'm hoping um, one right. thing that I do is I, I work for a company content safe. I'm actually partners in that company. We distribute guys like you, people who have made contentious content up mm -hmm. on bit shoot and odyssey and i don't Rumble even know that it's flow. contentious like uh, like that like that i don't even want I know, to say just, that it's contentious yeah the I other part we, yeah we help you grow audiences on mm -hmm. the growing platforms where you put your media there and it stays there mm -hmm. and right now thank god podcasts you can say all kinds of stuff and it's kind of rare for that stuff to get censored thank god on an rss feed it's mm -hmm. too decentralized thanks to the the mechanisms of Aaron Schwartz, the you know, and, and others who worked on the RSS feed. Uh, he was one of the originators of Reddit, basically. He was yeah. seemingly suicided back some years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. I noticed some sadness just when when you said uh, when you said Aaron, one of my dear friends, like had one of the, as far as I understand, last conversations with Aaron before he was killed. Um, yeah, or suicided. Yeah, that, that's a contentious topic right there, but. Uh, I unfortunately or fortunately have had the privilege to meet a number of folks who have worked on directly or have dear friends who have worked on what I would call game-changing technologies that have had very mysterious, sudden, and tragic deaths. And uh, to me, it has gotten to the point where um, it's, uh, it, it just makes me sad and also um, makes me nervous and worried but also paradoxically gives me great comfort in the sense of like wh where I'm trying to, I guess, steer my behavior now is like, I'm going to work on stuff where if someone assassinates me, I'm okay with that. And I'm not saying I'm going to deliberately go be stupid, right. Or go and engage in hazardous behavior, but I'm like, Hey, I spent a bunch of my career making money for people I didn't like and didn't want to work with doing stuff. I didn't want to do in places I didn't want to be. But, yeah. you know, well, of course I wasn't happy, right? I was doing all yeah. kinds of sorts of things. Um, so I guess, uh, did you feel complete on that point? Or did you want to go deeper down that road? No, that, that was mostly it. I think that it's just, it's good to, for folks listening and watching to mm -hmm. understand that as, a, you know, in these 80 year cycles, these are the times where censorship ramps up in a great way. Yeah, as it did yeah. back in World War II, and as it did certainly during the Civil War, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's a time where control over centralized information just kind of ramps up a bit and where people are actually imprisoned and certainly killed for re revealing the wrong information. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> during the other flip side of this, the, the side of like the me time, you know, which mm -hmm. is peaking in 
1983 and around in the, the turn of the century, etc. Um, those time periods, there also are, uh, you know, people, if you just say the wrong thing, there's always a chance that someone in the ruling class will want to get you, you know, whether right, to right. Uh, whether with with mild ridicule or full on assassination, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's a spectrum between it. It's kind of almost yeah. like the stages of grief in there, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like in, in there like that. And that's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. But during this time period, as I can tell you, and as you just noticed with having YouTube channel removed, that's a, that's an obstacle. So yeah. our company is contentsafe.co. We just go ahead and upload your stuff to five places. And if you've ever had struggling to try to you know upload a video to BitChute over and over and have it keep failing, yeah, we take care of that job for you. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now you can spend more time growing audiences on these huge platforms there are millions of people watching bit shoot videos and going on odyssey to to get the latest this and that kind of video and there's like a lot a lot of people growing places growing your audience in other places so that's more eyes and ears on your work mm-hmm. and then obviously at the same time you you can spend more time making killer content like this show that we're making right now you know more time <laughs> on that and less time on uploading and less time on, on, you know, being that solopreneur like you are, you know, like right. that, where you're, you're struggling with getting technically angry, what we call tangry, you know? Oh, I never <laughs> like heard that. that. And, and that describes uh, portions of my life that are larger than I would hope. <laughs> yeah. We oh, like to, to make it easier, you know, so you can go to contentsafe.co and, and learn more about that. That was my, my one pitch. Okay. I'm going to launch into my other pitch too. Cause um, okay. I opened the, when we open the show, I am writing Not Medical Advice, the book, but my show, notmedicaladvice.co, I, I am still on YouTube. I haven't been all censored off of that one yet. I've had one video removed, so I have experienced censorship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I continue. I might have the channel shut down. I don't care because I'm growing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to, you know, being part of the company. I have my stuff distributed. Right. You know, so. I'm growing on other channels and I, I grow by being on cool shows like, like yours, Drew. Um, it's, I get to work for people, not medical advice. I, I get to offer a service where I help you wherever you are in the world, locate medical professionals that can solve your problems, your injuries and illnesses that are chronic and you haven't had any help with, or maybe you were just trusting the wrong doctors and they get no results or you get worse and new problems. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know how to find the people who are more likely to get results for you, how to, the questions to interview them, you know, how to designate effective results, how to specifically work for them, what to look for. It's going to be in the book that I'm in the process of writing out probably early next year. And I'm aiming to give people that, you know, can reach directly out to me. Um, the email right now I'm using voluntaryvisions.com. That's um, I'm, I'm kind of hiding my name a little bit around that one, but voluntaryvisions.com is the way to directly reach me. But I, you know, I'll have Daryl at notmedicaladvice.co in the future. And okay. I, okay. I'm looking forward to, I don't have that email ready yet, you know, but um, right now I'm, I'm there. And I just offer that service where, hey, if, you, if you're confused and you don't know what the hell you're doing, and you have medical problems, I have answers that I am aware of. I, I know how to find people who are effective because that's what got me into healthcare is I had medical problems and I, was, I lucked out. I found a medical teacher who 
took me in as a client and six years later took me in as an assistant to work for him and train me in formats of medicine and then sent me off to acupuncture college because mm -hmm. you know in this mm -hmm. culture you need these things called medical licenses in order to get people's respect and also right. to not get attacked by the regulating agencies that ask for a permission slip to do what you know how to do you know yeah oh man thank you for that i, I was going to kind of save like a hey is there a direction you want to point folks towards later on but i think you i think you knocked that out of the park and as always, the, there will be information in the show notes, right, for people to find you and find your work. Um, so a, a few more things I wanted to touch on was the circle back in terms of uh, needing, I'll call it needing some challenge, right? Um, there's a idea called hormesis, right? And there's a whole blog devoted towards the topic of hormetism, which you could say is just like progressive overloading, right? Kind of like bend, not break called I want to say gettingstronger.org. I'll put it in the show notes, but it is excellent, man. They have so many awesome things. And uh, I think for some reason, people often don't understand compounding or progressive overloading. Like you go to a gym and you see someone deadlifting 500 pounds. And if you try to deadlift 500 pounds, you, you just couldn't break it off the floor. It's like, well, you know, that could be you in a year. That could be you in two years. If you have consistent effort and challenge, you, you can do that. Um, it's, it's totally possible. But the way you do that is by progressive overload. You have to challenge yourself a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. And um, there's a, I don't know if I'd call it a framework, but um, you could say there's uh, four types of consciousness and competence. So there's unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, and then there's unconscious competence which is when like someone's really good at something and it's on autopilot which seems oddly related but um yeah yeah and and, and then uh just because i had to force it in there <laughs> shitty <laughs> shitty workout joke is um how come when people don't work out they get a trophy um and a trophy meaning atrophy it's it's a stretch oh. um <laughs> it's, it's oh, a bad funny. one it's a bad one but uh I like, I like hope is for the weak spelled W E, you know, like, uh, oh, and, -E um, yeah. And, and oh. also like W E E K hope is for all week long, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yep. 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 for the whole yep. week. And, uh, like it's play on words and English language. Yeah. I, I like the yeah. idea of, you know, make sure you can always do a push up for every year old you are like that. Oh, I like so, that. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm up to 67 push-ups in a row. That's what I did yesterday. Nice. And um, I'm, I'm aiming to get to a hundred, mm -hmm. you know, way before I'm a hundred. Right. Like that. Right. Yeah. And it is hard, you know, <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes it is. you know, um, but it used to be that I was stuck at 40 and it hurt mm -hmm. so bad in the, the three days after I do 40 push-ups. And right yeah. now I could probably pump out 40 with no noticeable effect, even incline pushups with my feet up on a table, you know, yeah, I yep. can do 40, but the, once I get closer and closer, you know, to the 55, mm. it's slowing down. And mm. the closer mm. I get to yeah. the 60, it's, it's really slowing down and everything is just like that. And that's where I'm at today. You know, like that's, that's, that's the situation. So Obviously, I, I encourage people just like for like some final messages that I like more important than plugging my work, which will be mm -hmm. in the show notes is 
to keep in mind that there's a lot of scared people out there that are very hurt uh, from the traumas mm -hmm. that they've experienced. And keep in mind that look at them. I, I implore you, the listener and viewer, you out there, just see them as an individual. Understand the purposes of why you're connecting to them. What's the what's the benefits that you get from connecting to them? And potentially what are the drawbacks or, or prices of connecting with them? So that you know that keep that in mind. If you have big benefits, like like just like for example, like your mom and dad, you want to keep the connection, or even a long-term friend that you've had for a long time, you have a chance to nurture and and heal, keep that relationship. And when you notice that if you stray over into a person's strong, firm belief systems that they're not ready to yield on, they're not going for gobbling red pills like Jolly Ranchers. They are disgusted by them. That's that's where they're at. And you can respect where they're at and you can just find ways of connecting around them. I used to call it playing a game of Minesweeper where I just I plant flags around topics that I might be very cautious about bringing up with an individual. And I just try to be careful if I go in there at all and maybe not go mm -hmm. there and focus on why I want to connect with them. Have compassion for wherever they're at, wherever they're at. Try to understand you know, because there's expression in the Mankind Project. If you spot it, you got it. Oh, so I love that. Yeah. if you do spot that they're like a certain way, for example, firm in their conclusions, not curious, lacking curiosity, not having humility, lacking the courage to go forward and investigate or change things up, then ask yourself, how am I being like that right now? Mm -hmm. Am I putting them into a box, a simplistic label? We didn't touch on the, the four D's of disconnected communication, but yeah. Am, am I, and am I putting them in a box? Am I thinking in deserve oriented language like they are? Am I basically making demands of them that they conform to where I want them to be? Am I denying responsibility for my emotional terrain because I'm identifying them as doing that as denying that they're, you know, basically responsible for their mental and emotional terrain keeping in mind like that those are responses that are learned those are habits and so that's okay as long as you get benefits from being with the person have great empathy right now i i speculate the ruling class want to split us all up by you know who's a rebel and who's a slave who's obedient and who's going to be more of uh investigatory and, and more looking into things and and not just taking the say so of of an authority or a majority and, and find the ways to connect with people on an individual basis of what value they bring to your life. And, you know, obviously try to keep in mind that you're bringing value to their life if they want you there around too, um, to not be so easily split up and, and have compassion for yourself and others. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And um, it reminds me of uh, something I, I love about like like raves and festivals, uh, this idea of PLUR. Have you heard of this? What is it? Um, PLUR. So it's an acronym. And so usually when folks will have bracelets or, or candy, so for, for those who are just listening, you won't see this, but um, you'd have a bracelet, I'd have a bracelet, and, and you do like this, peace, love, unity, respect. And, and then you exchange the bracelet, and respect is when my hand is clasped with your hand. And... Uh, it's just something I love about that community. I think it's a good way to live, right? And you could say, okay, peace, 
non-aggression principle, love. I define love as like genuinely wanting what you think is best for someone else, right? And what I think is best for you might not be what's best for you, right? Um, unity and, and then respect. Um, and I would say unity involved respecting the personhood of yourself and others. And um, right on. yeah, I, I think that's a great place to wrap. It's been a pleasure and I'd love to do this again. That's awesome. Right. I look forward to next time, Mark. I mean, I'm sorry. Next time, <laughs> next time, Drew. Mark no is my next show. Okay. <laughs> Peace. I hope you all enjoyed that. One quick thing in closing. Stegdrew.com slash juicy. Stegdrew, just like the show, dot com slash juicy. You can sign up for my weekly musings there on all things like we spoke about in this episode and other assorted weirdness. Just drop in your email, stegdrew.com slash juicy. Thank you.